Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word this evening. I thank you for your, uh, your grace and your mercy in our everyday lives. I thank you for uh, your love. And God, I just pray that you would strengthen and encourage your people today, that you would use your word to help us grow, to help us lean closer to you and to grow our fellowship with you. Uh, God, I pray that uh, your son Jesus, who we serve, would be exalted today, that we would glorify him the way that he ought to be. And God, I just pray that we would learn more about you uh, through this Bible study this evening. God, I thank you so much for uh, the believers, the people that are watching this evening. I, I pray that they are blessed. Uh, I hope that everyone is having a good week so far. And God, I pray uh, that everything would go well um, and smoothly in recording this. Uh, God, I thank you so much for all that you do for us, for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we are going to be in the book of Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29, uh, verse number, you can find verse number 18. That is where we're going to kind of launch from this evening. This is a verse that is uh, preached a lot this time of year, uh, especially with the new year coming up here in just a couple of days. And I do believe that this verse is wildly misused. It's misunderstood. Um, but I believe it needs to be addressed as we go into the new year. Um, and this message tonight is very simple. For our church to be healthy and for churches to be healthy and to be filled with healthy believers um, full of healthy spirituality, the Word of God must stand at the forefront of the ministry. And uh, that is the key to this verse um, this evening. I will read it um, from both, both the King James and the New King James. Uh, the King James says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And the New King James says this, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now, I really like that translation, and I will tell you why in just a little bit. But uh, this verse is at its core about the importance of the presentation of God's revelation. God's revelation. Now, uh, how has God revealed himself? Um, he has revealed himself through, uh, in the Old Testament, you have the prophets. You, he has revealed himself um, in speaking directly to people, like in the book of Genesis, where he speaks to Abraham, he speaks to Adam, he speaks um, uh, to, to Noah, he speaks to people directly. Um, as I said, we have the prophets, you have in the New Testament, you have Jesus, who is the Word of God incarnate, and that is really the, the important thing that we need to understand is when we're talking about the word of God, we are speaking of scripture, but understand that everything in scripture is Jesus. Jesus being the word incarnate, everything in here is going to long, go along with everything that he is. And so uh, in, the, in the King James, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And the New King James says, there, where there is no revelation. Those words are the exact same Thing It is the Hebrew word hazon, hazon, and it is a revelation, it is a vision, it is a um, revealing of God's will. Um, vision in its very widest basic sense 
is the revelation of God's will through various agents. And so, like I said, you have the prophets, you have preachers, you have teachers, you have Jesus, you have the apostles, you have all of these different things. At its very core, it is the presentation and the proclamation of God's word. Now, uh, this word is often misused um, as, a, as an excuse to kind of present our own ideas. People will say, well, God gave me a vision, and they'll pull like an extra biblical idea out, um, a, a, an idea or a, a, a word that is not in the scriptures. Well, unless it goes along with scripture, it invalidates everything. Um, you, you cannot claim to ha have biblical vision based on Proverbs 29.18, have it not go along with scripture and be validated. It has to be God's word. It has to be God's word. And what the verse says here is where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, spiritually disastrous results come about. Spiritually disastrous results come out. This word perish uh, is, is uh, translated as, as cast off restraint in, in many versions, uh, not just the New King James. It is the Hebrew word yipara, yipara. And it means literally to loose moral restraints, to loose restraints, to cast off restraints. There is a lawlessness, there is a uh, perishing that's going on, and that is a product of there not being any vision taking place. Let me make it this perfectly clear. There is no instance in Scripture. You cannot point to a place in Scripture where an absence of God's word is described in a positive sense. You cannot find it. You cannot find it. You can look in the book of Hosea. You can look in the, uh, Hosea chapter 3, Hosea chapter 4, and I think Hosea chapter 5 as well. The book of Amos chapter 8 verse 12. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 9. It all describes absence of God's word in a negative sense. Sometimes it's a product of judgment. It's a product of judgment. Sometimes it's the reason for judgment. Um, in the book of Hosea specifically, God judges his people for a lack of knowledge because they have cast off all restraint. They have rejected his word. The book of Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 3 speaks of a, the, the condition of the land as being um, absent uh, or, or short-handed of revelation. The, the word of God was hard to find in that time. And, and we have to look biblically and say, okay, when we are in a, either a period of time or an environment where the word of God is not being proclaimed... Right Where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, where what God wants us to know is not making it from point A to point B. Because God has in his, in his sovereignty chosen man to be proclaimers. He has chosen man to be proclaimers. So what happens when we say, no, I will not proclaim. No, I will not lead my people in that way. No, I will not um, uh, connect that message because of whatever reason we find these bad consequences. In times like this, the consequences are this. You have the people exhibiting lawless and rebellious behavior. You have periods of time like are uh, described in the book of Judges where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He was not following God's word. He was doing what was right in his own eyes. It is a complete loss of moral Restraint. 
I really like um, the I really like the the translation there in the New King James, and I, I believe that that's a, a faithful translation of that um, as well. But uh, let's take a look. I want I want to show you a biblical one biblical example of this. We actually have several, but if you go to the book of Exodus, chapter thirty-two. Exodus chapter 32, start at the beginning of the chapter because we want to see what happens and then show Moses' understanding of the events. So just to understand what's going on, Moses has gone up to uh, Mount Sinai to speak with God. God is delivering the law to him. He gives him... Right, the tablets of testimony, the Ten Commandments, and, and the rest of the law. Um, it says in verse 1 of chapter 32, When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together t- to Aaron. Aaron is kind of in charge right now while Moses is gone, right? And said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt, so that when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And so up on the mountain, God tells Moses, Hey, those people down there have not, they've turned away from me, is what he says. They've turned away from me, my wrath has been kindled, all these different things. Moses comes down, and if you find verse 25, it says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Moses comes down and he sees the trouble. He sees the sin. What is the issue? What is the trouble at Mount Sinai? This whole thing stems from the fact that the people came to Aaron with their doubts, with their fears. We don't know what's happened to Moses. He's gone, right? He's been gone for a long time. He's, we're, we're still waiting for him to come back. So Aaron, we want you to make us gods because that Moses that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, notice they didn't credit God there. They credited Moses. This Moses that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, he has deserted us. And Aaron has a choice. Aaron has a choice, as does any leader, when people bring a a crisis or uh, doubts and fears, anxieties, problems, whatever it may be. When a leader is brought these things, you have a choice. Do you exalt God? Do you exalt Christ? Do you point them to the one who can really solve all their problems? Or do you cater to them and try and bring them physical comfort or earthly comfort instead of spiritual comfort? So Aaron could have stifled their fears. He could have said to them, Moses will be back. No, I'm not going to make you false gods. Don't you remember what God has said? Because several times in Exodus, and then he brings it up in Leviticus, he says, I am the Lord your God. 
God says, I am the Lord your God that brought you up out of Egypt. God has already told them, you shall not have any other gods before me. So Aaron is not acting out of ignorance. He knows full well. And, and I would also say, the people know full well. You think about it. These are people who walked through the Red Sea when it was parted. These are the people that, that witnessed the, the killing of the firstborn on the night of Passover. These are people who have seen all this, and in that moment, they're afraid, which I understand they're afraid. I understand that they're in the wilderness, right? They're wandering around, and their leader has been gone for quite some time. You're thinking, I don't know if he left us. I don't know if he's dead. I don't know what's going on. But Aaron is in a place where he can answer those fears. Aaron is in a place where he can bring to them the comfort of what God has said to them. But instead, he brought the people their own desires. He should have brought them the oracles of God, right? The revelation of God, the vision of God. But instead, he brought idolatry into the camp. And Moses said what he saw was the people were unrestrained. Notice, though, how the people, they didn't necessarily go off what we would call like the deep end, right? So they ask Aaron, make us gods. Aaron makes a golden calf, and he calls the golden calf the god that brought them up out of Egypt. And then he says, tomorrow, I just, I just want to read this. He says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And he uses the word Jehovah. Tomorrow is a feast for Jehovah. So while you're bowing down and worshiping to this calf, think in your mind of Jehovah, and tomorrow we'll have a feast. And they have a feast, and they offer offerings. They bring peace offerings, celebrating the peace between God and man. They rose up to play. They sat down to eat and drink. They're joyful. They're not necessarily going off the, I would say, go off the deep end. Like, they didn't go full pagan here, right? Like, they, weren't, they didn't just immediately start sacrificing children and taking part in, like, uh, outrageous, some of the, the pagan, like, sexual um, things. They didn't do any of that. It was just a subtle shift. Uh, one, one pastor that... Um, uh, commented on something that I posted online. He said, isn't it interesting that they did not go that far, but it was just a little bit off. And he, he remarked that even today, people will do the same thing. They will reject Jesus and settle for Jesus and. Jesus and works. Jesus and this. Jesus and that. And I think that speaks to the sinfulness of man. In those times in which we don't like what's going on. We will settle for something less. We don't necessarily always take a hard right or a hard left. But sometimes we just settle for something a little bit less. A subtle shift. But even that subtle shift to Moses was casting off all moral restraint. Even that subtle shift to Moses was out of control. Why? Because they had left the path that God had laid out for them. They had rejected his word. And here's the deal. When you reject the word of God, anything goes. Right? So we as, as, as Baptists and as a church of, of God, uh, we claim in our doctrinal statement that the Bible is our rule of faith and practice, which means that it tells us, you know, the things to believe. It tells us things about God. We believe those things. 
And it also gives us instruction for everyday life. The, the Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof and for correction, for fixing things that are wrong, for instruction in righteousness, for further teaching us things that are right. So we believe that that's what the word of God is. But if it's not, if we reject that, then what is there exactly that is holding us into place? What exactly is there that is keeping us in, literally keeping us in line? This idea is casting off restraints. It's taking off the clothing that the word of God puts on. And I think that it's because we misunderstand what the word of God is there for. We think that God is, and by we I mean humanity as a whole, we believe that God is this big angry old guy in the sky who just wants to give us a list of do's and don'ts because he wants to control us. What we fail to understand is that God in his word has given us commands for our benefit. God has outlined for us the way that we can live our lives to the fullest, that we can give him glory to the fullest, and we can find joy in the fullest. But we, we say, well, that, but, but I don't want that because that means I have to give up X, Y, Z, right? Or I have to restrict myself from this or restrict myself from that. And what happens is we think of the carnal things instead of the spiritual, and we cast off the word of God, and with it goes our morals. It's lawlessness. It's rebellion. And as, as Proverbs tells us, when there is no Word of God. The people just cast off restraint because the Word of God is beneficial to keep us in a healthy place. And how sad is it that Aaron took part in that? We could talk even more about how he lied to Moses and he was like, Yeah, the calf just came out of the fire, right? <laughs> but where does it all begin? It all begins with that moment where the people come to Aaron and they say, we are afraid. What do we do? Make us gods. And Aaron does not bring the word of God. He does not bring the revelation of God. He does not point to God, but he instead makes them this golden calf. Idolatry comes. See, when we abandon the word of God and when the word of God is absent, we are willing to do just about anything and everything that we want to. Some of the most dangerous words that a Christian uh, can say is, I would never do that. Because I guarantee under the right circumstances, we just might. Now I, I ask that you turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. We're going to look at a, another, a couple examples in the book of second chronicles and these are also you can also find these examples in the book of uh, second kings as well i'm just going to read from second chronicles chapter 20 or chapter 15 now the Spirit of God came down to Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, the king, and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, but without a teaching priest, and without law. 
But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to the one that went out, nor to the one that came in, but turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. A time of lawlessness plagued Israel because of a lack of God's law, because of a lack, notice he says that there was no teaching priest, there was no person that was teaching the word of God. There was no law. And with that, there is no reigns. And so it's described as this time without peace, without a time of safety. There's war. There's turmoil. It's, it's a warning that's given to Asa. And then it drove him to bring reform and things like that because he saw what happens when you completely abandon God's law. I mean, the, the, the very fact that that had to be said to a king is quite ridiculous because the king was instructed way back in the law. God had said to them, when, when, when you get a king, here's how I want the king to act. Here's what I want the king to do. And one of the things that the king was supposed to have was his own copy of the law of God that he was to read daily. And yet when you read in the Kings and the Chronicles, there's this up and down, this great tumult that, that comes throughout the book where you have evil kings and you have good kings and you have evil kings and good kings and far more evil kings than you do have good things, good kings. Why? Because they did not follow the law of God. Go a little bit farther in the book of Second Chronicles. Find chapter 28. Verse 19 describes the wicked rule of King Ahaz. And this passage from, from 19 down to 25 and, and further uh, details the depth of idolatry that Ahaz took part in. And we see that when we reject God's word as our rule of faith and practice, something must be elevated to take its place. There is this, there, there is this gap that is going to be left by the word of God, and we're going to try to fill it. And we're going to fail, by, might I add. It's, it's vanity to try and fill a God-sized gap with anything in this world. And so the place where our, our rule of faith and practice needs to be, where our morals need to be, where our standards need to be, when we remove the word of God from that, we try and cram it with a whole bunch of stuff. Hear this. 2 Chronicles 28, verses 19 to 25. For the Lord brought Judah low. Because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Also, Tilgath-Pileazar, king of Assyria, came to him, distressed him, but did not assist him. And Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave it up to the king of Assyria, but he still did not help him. Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria will help them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. 
So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Do you see just the sharp decline that happens when somebody abandons the word of God? Do you see what happens? He, he rejects God's word. He encouraged moral decline. He, brought, he made Judah naked before God. He made Judah perish before God. He made them unrestrained before God. By the way, that is the same word. That word, encourage moral decline, that, that word perishing or naked there, uh, depending on what translation you're reading, it's the same word that's found in Proverbs 29, 18. It's the same word as in Exodus where Moses saw that the people were unrestrained. It's that same exact Hebrew word. They, Ahaz encouraged the people to cast off moral restraint. Why? He wanted them to be happy. <laughs> so he let them do whatever they wanted. But God brought Judah low, and in his distress, Ahaz became, he says, increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. Because when you start down that path, it's so easy to just drop even further. And he went so far as to sacrifice to the gods of the victorious kingdoms because he said, surely their gods are with them. And if I sacrifice to them, they will be with me as well. How terrible. H.A. Ironside said this, when God's people reject his word, they soon become lawless and substitute for the spirit's energy, the meddling of uh, nature and embrace what is simply of man. See, when you reject God's word, when you reject what he has to say, you will substitute it with something. Ahaz rejects the word of God. He rejects the plan of God for the kings of Israel, uh, and he substitutes it for his own way. And how tragic is it for us to reject what is divine and embrace what is degenerate? We reject what is divine, embrace what is degenerate. We embrace sin because we simply don't want what God wants for us because it might either be hard or it's just not what we want. But I don't want to just keep pounding on the negative examples. In 2 Chronicles, there are also good examples. Time doesn't permit me to read all of the verses that I want to read. <laughs> But I will just tell you this. There are examples of what happens when the word is brought to the forefront of the kingdom. When revival comes, it comes because the word of God is discovered. The word of God is embraced. Worship is exalted. God is exalted. Where there is Ahaz, there's later down the line Hezekiah. So in 2 Chronicles, if you find chapter 29... Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Israel, in Jerusalem, right? And in the very first year of his reign, this is in verse 3, in the first month he opened back up the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. What Hezekiah did in his reign, even though <clears throat> he certainly could have just followed in the footsteps of his father Ahaz, is he undid everything that Ahaz did. He has a God-honoring reign where 
he acted completely different than Ahaz. Where Ahaz shut up the temple, Hezekiah opens it up. Where Ahaz sacrificed to the gods of the victorious Syrians, Hezekiah reestablishes the proper worship to Jehovah. I love it in verse number 10. Here is what Hezekiah tells the Levites. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and you should minister to him and burn incense. This is Hezekiah's version of do your job. And not only did he tell the Levites to do their jobs, to stand up, to be diligent, not to be negligent, but then later on when he establishes the worship, verse 29 says, when they had finished offering the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped, where Ahaz and kings like him elevated themselves, Hezekiah humbled himself. Hezekiah humbled himself. He says, it is in my heart. I have set it in my heart to fix what was wrong, to bring revival to my kingdom, to elevate God to the place where he needs to be. And in the book of 2 Kings, it tells us that Hezekiah did all of this because, and I quote, he held fast to the Lord. You can also, later in 2 Chronicles, find verse, uh, chapter number 34, you can read about the reign of Josiah. He takes over after his father Ammon, who was a wicked king like his father Manasseh. He takes over when he was eight years old. Chapter 34, verse 1 says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. How this all begins is by the seeking of God. And when you seek after God, God has promised in his word that he will reward those that diligently seek him and that he will reveal himself. No one in all of history has sought out God and not found him. Because I believe that God puts that desire in our hearts. He takes over after his father. He seeks after God. And pretty soon he finds, uh, he, he starts uh, re, uh, reinvigorating the worship of God. And the law is discovered. A book of the law is discovered in the house of God. Now, again, I, I, I point you back to when uh, the, they were told, Israel was told, listen, the king needs to have his own copy of the law. Well, Josiah didn't. Because they had not kept up that tradition. They had not kept up that commandment. And in fact, the law had just been forgotten because of the, the rejection of it by these wicked kings. And so a copy of the law is found. And you find verse 19, the law is read to him. And when it happened, it says, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. He says later on in verse 21, Great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord and to do according to all that is written in this book. 
when the law is read to him, the very first thing that he sees is that they have not done what God has asked them to do. Because where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. You will not find the word of God present and in the forefront of a church or a nation where moral lawlessness reigns supreme. Josiah brings a revival of worship across the land. And these are just a couple of instances that show and and they prove to us what Proverbs 29 tells us in the second half of the verse, right? Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Notice, he doesn't say happy is he who hears the law. Happy is he who reads the law. It's happy is he who keeps the law. Ironside, again, he says, where the word of God controls, there will be blessing. And the kings that were faithful, you can read about them. In the times in which they were faithful, despite their own sinfulness, they enjoyed bountiful and successful reigns. And those that didn't, they suffered at the hands of God. Their, uh, their accounts in the scriptures are cut short. They are just blips in history. Instead of exalting the God that is over everything, they sought their own pride, they sought to serve themselves, and they suffered because of it. But those that were faithful enjoyed the blessings of what happens when you are obedient to God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that, man, if you just strive to be obedient to God, you're going to get everything you want. That's not what this speaks of either. It speaks of the joy that comes when you are being obedient to God. See, this is the spiritual blessings, not necessarily the physical blessings. The conclusion of this is very simple. We need to keep the word of God at the forefront of our lives and at the forefront of our ministries. James chapter 1, be doers of the word, not hearers only, because hearing the word, and I'm going to say this twice, does nothing for us, It does nothing for us if the principles that it brings go no deeper into our lives than our ear canals. It means nothing to come and sit in church and listen if it does not carry over into our lives. It does us no good to have all of the individual Bible study time that we want, but we don't apply any of it. We just go, oh, that's a nice book. All right? This isn't Harry Potter. It's not Lord of the Rings. All right? Those are... Entertaining books, that's not what this is. The word of God is here for our benefit and for our instruction. It does nothing for us if it goes no deeper than our ear canals. The fact of the matter is that scriptural faithfulness must be our measuring stick for ministry and life. Here is a question. Can you be faithful to God but not be faithful to his word? And the answer to that is an absolutely not. Because can you be faithful to God and reject Jesus? And the answer would be no. Well, Jesus is the word incarnate. He, is, he contains all the fullness of God. And all the fullness of God is also contained in the word of God because this is Jesus. And so no, you cannot reject God, Christ and, 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 and be faithful to God. But so many people 
separate themselves from the word of God and they expect that their good intentions will count for something. No. No. A modern day believer looking to serve themselves in extra biblical ways are no different than the Israelite dancing around the golden calf at Sinai. No different. And it's arrogant and it's foolish and it's ignorant for us to think otherwise we deceive ourselves. We look back at them and we go, yeah, but they were worshiping a golden calf. I just don't read my Bible that much. Well, when we don't bring the Bible to the forefront of our lives, we end up serving those golden calves. And I would say we probably each have something in our lives that is very similar to the golden calf, that thing that we look to for comfort and we look to for guidance and we look to, um, to, to satisfy a place where, where God should instead be satisfying us. Today you hear the word vision a lot in, in modern churches. And I, I take no issue with the word because that word is a biblical word. And it brings with it a biblical principle. And the big, biblical principle is this. As, as Paul wrote to Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. As, as times get harder, preach the word. When times are easier, preach the word. Be instant in season, be instant out of season. I believe that the word vision is a biblical term with a biblical principle. And the only time we should ever take issue with the word vision is if it's used in an extra biblical way. If it's used to promote extra biblical ideas. If it's used to push ideas that have no biblical basis. But instead, I believe that anybody who is in leadership, whether it's a pastor or a preacher, whether it is a Sunday school teacher, whether you are just discipling somebody else, you better have vision. You better have God's word. You better have revelation that you are bringing to the other person. Don't bring your own ideas. Don't bring your own opinions. But instead, bring scripture. Casting vision is a great trait of a biblical leader. We should desire for those around us, those that are above us, to have a direction that they believe God is leading and that they can prove biblically. To be like Hezekiah, who he says, it is in my heart to do this. <clears throat> Josiah, when he saw the law, he's like, we got to fix this. That's much different than the self-serving leader that only desires to please himself and to gain power like Ahaz. And so here's the question, and it's not so much about leadership as it is integrity. Are we as individuals, as, and are we as a, as a church, doing all that we can to keep scriptures at the forefront? Are we using the word of God to guide us? Are we seeking to comfort ourselves or surrender to complete faithfulness? Are we willing to settle for less than God's vision for our life. And by that I mean what he has revealed in his word for the life of every believer. As Ephesians put, us, put it, Ephesians chapter 1, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Are we settling for less than that? Because we are rejecting God's word. It is time for us to get back to the scripture. And that's why in the year 2021... This is for Bethel, folks, this final part. In 2021, I've got a, a Bible reading plan. If, if you want to take part in this, I, I encourage you to do it. I'm going to share it on our Facebook page. 
I talked about it with the Sunday school teachers. I know the adult Sunday school teachers are, are going to be following this Bible reading plan and, and teaching through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Every one of my sermons throughout the year 2021 is going to follow that Bible reading plan and is going to show Jesus throughout Scripture. We're going to start this coming Sunday with Jesus as the seed of the woman, as promised by God in the garden. And it is because we need to get back to understanding where Jesus fits in Scripture and understand that Scripture needs to guide our lives. Now, I know that we have people that are in B groups and people that are doing other Bible reading plans. This is in no, by no means mandatory, but... I hope and I pray that this message has shown you the importance of devoting yourself to God's word. May we be like the kings and have our own copy of God's word that we are in every single day. Now you could go one step further and do what they were supposed to do and that was copy this whole bad boy down. <laughs> but we have to understand that if we want to be a healthy body, this is how we get there. It is through scripture. And I also hope that you understand that, you know, over the year 2020, I preached on discipleship and I brought up discipleship over and over and over again. And I know that that was probably kind of annoying, but I also recognize that I did my very best to show in scripture where it was called, where we are called as the Lord's church to go and make disciples. But that was not me casting a vision that I originated, but that it comes from the word of God. That's the difference maker. Paul, when he was writing to, to the church at Corinth, he said, you got to remember that the gospel that you heard is not, did not originate from me, but I got it from the Lord. And so that, that revelation that he brought was from God. It is so important for us to understand if we want to avoid the moral lawlessness and rebelliousness and really just the term that I think is good is looseness that comes and we've seen throughout scripture we've got to, to draw close to God through the reading and the study of his word we need to prioritize it in our lives he gave it to us for a reason and it's not just so that we'll open it up when we're here in the building because guess what right now you're not here with me we must understand that this is important. And so I'm going to post on our church Facebook page the readings for the month of January, starting with January the 1st. Um, the reading plan goes from Monday to Friday. Weekends are for catch-up. Weekends are for catch-up. And this Sunday we will begin in Genesis chapter 3 and look at Jesus as the seed of the woman in the garden. I hope and I pray that this has been a blessing and beneficial to you. Um, in a way I hope it hurts you as much as it hurt me. Studying this. And writing this. And reading this. I want to be like Hezekiah. I want to be like Josiah. I want to elevate God. Bring revival and elevate God. But that doesn't come by their own efforts. But only by the revival of the word of God among the people. I hope and I pray guys that you have a happy new year. I hope you enjoy New Year's Eve and New Year's Day with your families, whatever you're going to be doing. And God willing, I will see you on Sunday. Let us pray and be dismissed virtually. <laughs> Father God, thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you that it revitalizes our spirits. And God, I pray that it would revive our body as we uh, draw closer to you through consistent reading and consistent study. No matter how many times we've read it, no matter how many times we've studied it, there is always things to learn. There are always things to grow in. And God, I pray that you would reveal those things to us. I pray that you would guide us as a church through your scriptures from Genesis to Revelation this, year, this coming year, that we would see Jesus from the very first page to the end. God, I pray blessings on those people that watch today. I pray that you would burden them for your word, that you would ignite a fire to read your word. I, I pray that they would uh, enjoy it and find joy and find the happiness that's spoken of here in Proverbs. God, help us to avoid moral looseness. Help us not to be unrestrained, but instead to cover ourselves with your law, with your word. God, we know that Jesus is the word incarnate and we embrace him. We give him and you all the honor and the glory. God, we know that you have elevated your word. And I pray that we would do that as well. God, we thank you so much. For all that you've done for us, I pray for a great rest of the week. Bring us safely together on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. God bless.